Hey everybody, today's guest is singer, songwriter, and pianist, Howard Jones from Southampton, England. Together, we take a deep dive into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind his 1983 breakout hit single, New Song, taken from his debut album, Humans Live. A little interesting tidbit, New Song is the first track ever dissected here on Krista Makes a Podcast to not feature any traditional instruments, such as the electric guitar. Howard was on the cutting edge of this then new technology, and he embraced it tenfold. He really was a pioneer of the new wave scene, and the blueprint he had a part in creating is still heard in today's modern dance and pop music. Howard mentioned that he always strives for a connection between the listener and what he's trying to convey with his lyrics. These weren't corny, teeny bopper lyrics. They had substance, which is one of many reasons why Howard's music still resonates with his fans after all these years. And speaking of years, it's been 40 years since New Song was released, and I was impressed that my analysis brought up a lot of great memories about the song for Howard. So sit back, relax, and throw off your mental chains. This is a good one. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Howard, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you, Chris. This is a, a, a real treat for me. I got to tell you, when I saw the press release come through from your publicist, I just don't know where 40 years have went since the release of New Song, your first single, but congratulations. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. It, it's amazing. And I was talking to my producer before we got rolling here, Howard, and I think we, we're up to whatever it is now, 160 episodes or something. We've been at this for about three years. Amazing. I think... I think this is the first song that we've ever had in the show that doesn't have any guitars or actual, <laughs> you know, uh, instruments that, that rock bands would use, totally electronica, except for your voice. And that is really, really cool to me. And it's also, I recall, and I, I know you heard this a lot. I remember, you know, when a lot of the new wave stuff was happening, when you were first coming up, it's you, the critics, oh, you know, they're just pushing buttons. This isn't real. And as I'm listening to this song, I'm like, well, he still had to come up with all the melodies. He had to figure out which buttons to push that were right. So it, it's uh, it's just fascinating to me that, that after all this, this is, this is the first song. I, and I, I do believe there isn't real instruments. Is that correct? I just think that think with on the Rupert Hine version, I used the studio piano, which was a highly doctored piano. But the original single, no, doesn't have any, I, I would call it conventional instruments rather than real. Okay. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, I always say that, you know, <laughs> you know that um, a piano keyboard is a series of switches, right? Yeah. Uh, that are touch sensitive um, and that somebody can come in and play a piano and make you want to run as far as you can to the hills. And then another person sets down and plays and presses those switches and makes you want to cry. So, you know, <laughs> and it's exactly the same with, uh, you know, any instrument. It's like, it's, it's the way, 
the way you do it. <laughs> I'm going to use your your descriptor, conventional. Yeah, it's conventional, <laughs> not real. Conventional. That's, that's that that's the that's the better term. And you just mentioned something interesting. You said the Rupert Hine version. Rupert Hine, of course, produced your debut album, Humans Lib. Yeah. Um, new song, however, was released on August 19th of '83. The album didn't come out till March 5th of '84, and the original version was produced by Colin Thurston. Yeah. So the album version that was still the Colin Thurston one correct yes they i mean i i actually wanted to put rupert's version on because i liked it better but because new song had been such a massive hit um everywhere that it was good sense to actually <laughs> put that version on um but yeah i mean you know colin you know we started off recording it in the studio um with colin and 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 got quite a long way with it but it still wasn't right and record company agreed with that so we then took it to another studio i think it was the place where david bowie used to do his stuff in london and we worked on drum machine parts and bass lines again and then mixed it again so it was quite a process getting it right and then of course the record company you know as people do at, the, at those times uh, they didn't think it, the tempo was quite right so they wanted to speed it up <laughs> and so you know um now when i listen back to it and then when people are trying to copy it at home they'll find it somewhere between you know c and c sharp um so it's a quarter of a tone you know up, um but that was the you know that was what was going on in the day and this was my first single and i had no experience of of of, of anything at all you know uh, apart from writing and playing live and but, um, you know, this was the first proper record I'd made. So, you know, my confidence was developing after that. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I had to tune my guitar like three times. I'm wondering what's going on. I'm like, okay, wait a second. It's not there was there was synths here. So, and you know, a lot of times too, as you know, you would pitch this stuff in the yeah. studio to make yeah. it sound a little warblier off. Yeah. Yeah. No, Chris, you're absolutely right. It was, but they just basically sped up the, uh, the tape. It was, and it was recorded onto tape, analog tape. And there was no, you know, no digital recording at all. And right. actually all the parts, um, apart from the drum machine um, and, and the sequence, you know, the dun, 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 was, was uh, every, everything else was played. So it wasn't like making an, a modern electronic record where right. you can line up all the waveforms and get everything bang on. I, I played the bass part. I played all the, all the other um, keyboard parts in live. So... Um, it was a kind of hybrid record in a way. So, you know, you know, using the synths, uh, but actually it was mostly played. I'm really glad you mentioned that too, because you don't really take that into consideration on the analog re records, especially stuff that you were doing, like the dance and the pop and the new wave stuff. You know, it, it had to be on. So to your point, you had to play it again if it, if, if, if it was rubbing anywhere, whereas today you just would scoot it around in Pro Tools. That's right. I mean, you know, um, I think it's what gives the song its, you know, its character um, musically, uh, is, is that it, it's, it's not, you know, sample... <laughs> accurate as we as we you know i i make all the records i make now um the, the electronic ones you know i can as you say you can, I can line everything up even though it may be played in initially and improvised initially you can just get it you know absolutely perfected which can be good sometimes but not always appropriate but new song was definitely a kind of hybrid uh, obviously the drum machines are locked in the sequence is locked in but everything else sort of 
is rubbery around that, <laughs> which, which, which it would be um, more like, you know, a conventional band, yeah. What was it about the technology in the late 70s, early 80s to you that was fascinating? What, what drew you to it? What, why did you uh, embrace it? Um, well, I, you know, I played the piano since I was seven and I loved anything with, with, with keys. On Saturday mornings when I was like 12 years old or something like that, I, there was a, a local organ shop. And they have Hammond organs in there, which, you know, was like a dream for me to have a Hammond organ. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I was such a huge fan of, of Keith Emerson. And, um, but they were really expensive. But the, the, the kind guys in that shop, they, you know, it's quite a formal shop. You know, organ shops weren't like, like rock and roll shops. They were you know, <laughs> yeah. wore suits and ties and stuff. Um, but they, they let me play, you know, the Hammonds and, you know, through, through the Leslie. So... I was just anything that had keys, I was just interested in. So at the point, and I'd been to music college up in Manchester and you know, studied piano for two and a half years, but I was writing music and playing in bands that whole time as well. Um, so I came back to, to live with my parents actually in, um, you know, in High Wycombe. And, you know, there wasn't anybody that around that I could form a band with. So. I thought I, I came up with it. somebody lent me a drum machine. That's what happened. So I was at the piano playing along with the drum machine, and I thought I could develop this. If I got some of these new keyboards that were just coming out, I could turn this into a one-man electronic band. And that's where it got really exciting for me because I had lots of keyboards to play and um, and drum machines to run, sequences to run, and um, it was such a buzz to actually perform like that yeah and you don't have to deal with band members you don't like or have to pay them yeah i know i know i know but that, that, that wasn't the driving force chris I mean, I mean that's so funny yeah i mean you know the musicians union wants to ban me for those kind of reasons i've ended up employing more people than you know than a small factory you know over the years maybe not always it would be technicians it would be lighting guys it'd be, sure, band sure. Members, you know so yeah, yeah, but I can't believe they, they, they literally wanted to kick me out of the musicians' union because they thought I was robbing people of, um, of their jobs. That is so funny. I mean, that's kind of what I what I was saying at the top. You know, like back then, you had the critics like, "Oh, this, yeah, they're just pushing buttons. This isn't real music." And and here you are getting getting grief from those people too. Yeah, I, I mean, I had to fight against that all the time, Chris. It was it was really um, it was painful for me because mm -hmm. it's like I thought. I can look back on it now and realize exactly why that happened. And it's because when you try and do something new that isn't in the flow of what's gone before, you're going to take some flack, you know, and I did, you know, you put your neck above the, the parapet and you get fired. That's exact. And I was an easy target for that. Right. Sure. You know, and, you know, and, and Queen putting on their, on their album, no synthesizers were used it's like like synthesizers are gonna you know make you make you a hit record mate no they're not I can tell you right <laughs> right yeah they didn't use synthesizers but they had 380 vocal tracks <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm a i'm a big fan but i i of course i, I of course. was i was dismayed um mm -hmm. when i when i saw that because it's like these are these are the highly educated um young men <laughs> Right, right, you know, and they and they and, and they don't get it. You know what 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 hope do we have for the future? Well, I'll tell you about the hope for the future. If you go back to '83 when you recorded this, and you look at stuff that's happening now, 
I hear stuff that sounds like this now, 40 years later. You know, everything comes in cycles, and it just it gives me it gives me a bit of a chuckle. You know, you had said a little bit ago this was your first record. You were a little bit green, and, and here you are. Uh, I have to ask, did you get any pushback from the label, record label at that time, regarding the name of your debut song, new song? <laughs> because it's not in it's not in the chorus, it's not in the hook at all, and labels were really about that back then. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Calling a song new song. <laughs> well, maybe not your debut single when you're an unknown. I mean, there's green and then there's extreme green, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, people going into the record shop and saying, oh, can I have Howard Jones' new song? Or, yeah, it's a song What's called What's it called? New song. I can't remember the artist. It's called New Song. <laughs> like, I, I bought, you know, if you wanted to put some barricades in front of people to stop them buying your record, that's the way to do it. Um, but... You know, it, it it goes back to to those early days when I, when I was doing the one man show in tiny pubs and clubs where they didn't normally have music at all. We used to you know make our own gigs up, and there was something about this one that I, I called it new song, and I remember playing it for the first time in, in in front of my you know my my fans who were just amazing in those days. They used to follow me everywhere. And playing it for them for the first time, and they went completely crazy. I ended up playing it three or four times that <laughs> night. <laughs> I know normally you don't do that, but I was so excited about the song as well. And I thought, oh, this this is the one. This is the new song. You know, this is the new. This is the way forward for me. And um, so that's why I, I honestly didn't think about it too much. Now I think it must be crazy. You should have called it "Don't Crack Up" or. You know, right? And bend your brain. See both. And there was a million titles in there you could have used. Now, of course, back then with labels, you get like weekly or bi-weekly reports from the label, and I imagine it started to trickle in. Hey, you're getting played in the United States. You're getting played in other countries. What was that like? You know, here's this kid from Great Britain, and all of a sudden, you're, you're hearing you're getting played in American radio, which I heard you in '83, '84 on American radio. I mean, it was incredible. It was incredible. And um, nobody knew anything about me, but they just really liked, liked the song. And, you know, I know we've talked about it being, you know, made with ele um, electronic instruments, but it it definitely had reference, didn't it, to, to eras gone by. You know, mm -hmm. it's like the organ sound, even the, you know, the riff is based on sort of, a, you know, a classical motif, really. And then, you know, the sort of quite soulful um vocals as soulful as i could be and yet it was it it, it felt new um so uh, and the, then there's the you know the positive lyric side of it that we haven't talked about yet um, yeah so i think all those things added up to it, it really taking off uh, mind you you know in the uk it took eight weeks to get to number three it, it, it just crept up the charts it was it was like it was we were going to lose it at any moment and but it, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't like a smash into the top 10 or anything well and and remember too you know and i didn't know this till i started touring england back in the 90s okay when my band was starting to come over there and we would go to these after parties discos they call them there and we would hear our songs in there and we're, and we're like a hard rock band and people are dancing to it. You know, we're a punk band. And I'm like, what is going on? It's just part of the culture. I imagine during this time, you were out at the bars and the pubs and the clubs and you're hearing the song, which a lot of times the song can become a hit on the club level and never even reach radio. Yeah, well, I, I, I guess, you know, we, we were at the start of that, of that um, time when, you know, as well as doing the seven inch mix for radio, we, we immediately did the 12 inch 
yeah. version, you know, to go on, on vinyl um, out to the clubs and it would be an extended version. And we'd have such, that was the most fun doing that, you know, doing the remixes. Um, yeah. And then hearing that in the club, which you, you know, you, you EQ differently and you, um, you know, you cut it differently for the vinyl and everything like that. So it was um, a real blast hearing it in, in, in clubs. So loud and great. Yeah. I bet it was. Well, I want to jump into the song and the arrangement on this. You know, you, you don't, I never really realized arrangements of songs until I put them on paper in front of me. And yeah. it never would have dawned on me that this song was a little strange arrangement wise, but it is where the parts come in, but it works absolutely seamlessly. The song is four minutes and 16 seconds and we get these drum pads and they're kind of ping ponging right and left in the mix that start it, And that happens two times followed by a kick drum that joins those drum pad hits. I hear a triangle in there and a main synth hook of the song for four bars. Was that like a triangle sound that was on one of the synths? That'd be drum machine. Yeah. We, you know, we started off with the drum machine um, pattern that I used live, and then we replaced the set, some of the sounds using the AMS, you know, single hit sampler that it was just very new technology at the time. And, and again, you had to play that analog. You had to press it with your fingers yes, or however exactly. you were doing it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Which, Gosh, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but I mean, the, it had to drive you crazy at points. Some stuff wouldn't line up or you just couldn't get it to work. You know, nowadays it's a push of a button. You, you can see it on the grid, but yeah. uh, I imagine I imagine that was a was a process at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was always the, always syncing stuff up to, you know, drum machine clicks and and it would be it would be it wasn't a very scientific process. But when I pull the song into into Pro Tools now, I mean, you see the tempo is varying all over the place because the, the drum machines and the and the tape machines, you know, were slightly out with each other, and we we, we used Simpty code, didn't we, to you know to drive things? Yeah, and that would be mm -hmm. not not always completely accurate, and and stuff wouldn't read it properly, and. Yeah, but, um, you know, it gives it its charm, doesn't it, really? <laughs> oh, it, it absolutely does. I think that that's the beauty of this is, yes, you were working with synthesizers and things, but you were still playing them. There was still the human factor yeah, in there, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you can you can really suck the life out of it when you put everything on a grid uh, in, in Pro Tools and fix everything. That's true. Uh, yeah. Verse one is a double verse. I've been waiting for so long to come here now and sing this song. Oh, don't be fooled by what you see. Don't be fooled by what you hear. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there. This is a, a autobiographical first verse, really, you know. Um, so I've been waiting for so long because I was playing the piano since I was seven. I was in bands at 14. I was I played the piano for four hours a day and Put this one man show together i couldn't get signed you know uh, n nobody wanted to sign me until one label did in the end but 
and then they all wanted it. But um, but you know, no publisher, no, and, this, and I had been waiting a long time. I was twenty eight when I got signed. You know, it was just like past it for a pop star, really, isn't it? <laughs> and so, um, it, it, well, 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 real, real, real quick, Howard. Yeah. Back then, that was old. Yeah. What I'd give to yeah. be twenty eight again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I've been waiting for so long to come to come in and things like. So that's totally, you know. I've been waiting for a long time to get to this place. And I, this was always my goal to be making records and releasing them. Don't be fooled by what you, you know, that, that really, I think that's to do with like, I'm making uh, music with different instruments to, to what you may be used to. So, so, you know, give it a wide, give it a, give it a bit of wide berth here. You know, it's like, it's a reference to the instrumentation I'm using um, and, and the way I'm making records, but also, to an, in a wider political sense, you know, you've got to question everything that you hear. Don't just believe everything that comes to you through the radio or the TV or print. You know, we, we really need to question things and come up with our own view of it, you know, and um, that's very much what the, those last two lines are. I absolutely love this. You were dreaming. You were a kid. You were you were dreaming about getting your music out there and all the yeah. things that we we've been talking about. Uh, you know the electronic elements and yeah. and non traditional instruments. You're addressing that in the lyrics. That is that is so uh, uh, humble <laughs> and cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I um, you know I didn't I didn't want to write traditional songs. You know, I, I I wanted to write songs that would provoke thought in people, even though you know I'm using a pop genre here um right it's all about that that the lyrics have always been the most important thing to me um that what you say you know you've you've got this incredible invitation into somebody's head because music i mean you know you can't even see it it just goes in there and it's in your head so make sure that if you're in somebody's head you say something that's meaningful to them that is awesome. I've I've never heard that before, mm. and that is really cool. It, it's kind of like you're you're saying they're they're letting me in their headspace. Yeah. I might yeah. as well I might as well give them something to yeah. chew on. That's great. That's great. Well, this first half of verse one, a uh, kick drum uh, comes in. The main synth hook is there. There is a what sounds like delayed wood blocks. Again, I'm assuming that was on the drum machine, and that swooshing sound I'm calling it, almost like a roulette wheel with delay. Just Is that another synth sound? It's so cool. No, Steve Taylor did that in one of his one of his machines. I I, I can't remember what what he what he did, but he um was it one of those? Yeah, no, it was one of those. You know those tree um what they call them symbol tree things that it's got all little symbols all lined up and you. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I know what you're talking so, you know, about. It's got a name, isn't it? A proper name. And then he yes. and then he put it through a processor to make it go, you know, detuned and, and uh, yeah, it's a cool sound. That is so awesome because again, you know, these sounds that we have at our disposal now, I'm, I'm staring at a keyboard that has thousands of sounds. A lot of them you had to create back then. Yeah. They weren't invented yet. You heard something in your head and you're like, hey, can we create this? Hey, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, you know, the keyboard, keyboards, I mean, MIDI was just coming out. So mm -hmm. that's how primitive it was then. So yeah, but um, still plenty of choice though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this first this first half of verse one, those triangle hits are at the top of the first and third lines here. And then in between the 
first half of verse one and the second half, there is a two-measure instrumental with sporadic shaker sounds and drum machine hand claps before we get into uh, the second half of the verse. And that part in and of itself is interesting, that you you gave it a rest there for two measures. You backed off, some instrumentation came in, and you came back for the second part of the verse. Did you do a demo of this song? Yeah, yeah. You did? This is where I did it um, live. I'm pretty sure I did any, anyway. Now, although Rupert was so good with arrangements, I think it was Rupert's idea that we reveal that main synth hook in stages. You know, the first time you just get it in C, it doesn't go to the minor. And you just get a teaser and then get straight on with this, you know, this, the second, uh, well, third verse, isn't it? Yeah. But. Right, right, exactly. This is a song to all my friends. They take the challenge to their hearts. Challenging preconceived ideas. Saying goodbye to long-standing fears. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was, I, was so, I was very, very close to my fans. They helped me so much in those early days. I mean, it, it was a group of maybe 100, 150 people. And they would come with me everywhere I played. And we used to organize coaches for people to do that, you know, uh, from the center I would come. We'd take people all around the country, you know, to come and if I was playing a gig in London, you know, they'd, they'd all pile in and, and come up. And so, it, and it felt like, like, you know, we really were doing this together. We, um, so when I was saying, you know, this is like to all of my friends, I felt that they were with me, not just because of the music, but, be, but because, because of what I was saying in the music. They take the challenge to their heart. So it's like they are, they're going along with the philosophy um, of the song as well. So so it was a close bond, and it was all you know. You know, I was playing like three or four, sometimes three or four gigs a week, and and then working during the day in factories and odd jobs and stuff. So I was flat out the whole time. And then you and but then the gigs were the the intense bit, you know, where and where those those bonds were, you know, created with that that group of people. And it was, um, yeah. So so that's what that's where that you know sentiment comes from, really. What's the second time you mentioned about the lyrics and you wanted to give the fans, the listeners, something to 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 hold on to? Do you think at all that had something to do with the fact that you were 28 and you weren't an 18 year old kid? Because a lot of times, 18 year old kids not going to worry about that. No, that's true. I mean, I think I was a bit older, and I, you know, philosophy was really, you know, something I've always been drawn to since since a child. So it had to be in there in the music. You know, I mean, challenging preconceived ideas. I mean, I don't think any pop song has ever. <laughs> Yeah. No, and, and and I also I also noticed there there's not much of a rhyme scheme no. going on here. You no. know the lines one and three and lines two and four here do not rhyme at no. all. No, you know, but but it works. You you make it work on how you deliver it vocally. Yeah, that's right. I didn't I didn't bother too much about as I got older. I I was more bothered about rhyming and being a little bit more clever with that. But in those days, it was like. Just let the words, you know, as long as the rhythms were 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 working. Yeah. You know, as long as the rhythms were working, and 
um, you know, that was that was fine for me. You know, and, and saying goodbye to long-standing. I mean, I mean, just the idea of challenging preconceived ideas was really important to me. You know, and it's and it's even more important now. You know, that we do challenge these great big tropes that we've been taught since we were kids about everything. You know, we we give them a bit of a forensic analysis and go, <laughs> and actually, I don't think this works. I mean, it doesn't work for me. And so um, let's evolve this, you know, involve the evolve these ideas so we can, um, you know, we can we can get on with each other better. That's the primary thing, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Do you recall if these vocals were doubled in the verse? Man, they, the, the vocal treatment, the delay on it is is yeah. really, really cool. But it, but I, I think I hear a double in there. It's pretty locked, though. Well, we did. I mean, Rupert had this thing that I was only allowed to do four takes. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> so he would get me vibed up and in the you have to remember i'd never done vocals in the studio before yeah so he, he just wanted to capture the energy he didn't want it to be a perfected thing or an over sterile sterile yeah so you lose that energy so only four takes and then he would out of those four takes anything that doubled up he would probably use it Right. If mm -hmm. anything doubled nicely, he would um, he would use it. And then Steve used, um, I think, you know, I mean, Steve's amazing with the uh, vocal exciters and right. And he's really fantastic with them, um, uh, you know, with delays. I mean, I and I remember it was a four one four that I used. So that's a, mm. not a normal mic really to use for vocals. You, right. Yeah. Because um, but Rupert wanted that kind of quite toppy sound you know on them mm -hmm. so yeah so we used that that kind of suited my voice but yeah it it sounds awesome i mean do you still think it sounds great 40 years later you know because i i know that's so difficult as a performer i listen to stuff from from my younger years like eh, you know certain things are okay but to me i just here we are 40 years on and, and i think the vocal sounds fabulous i'm a complete now i'm a complete nerd about vocal tuning and timing i mean i'm, I'm mm -hmm. just obsessed with it and so when i listen now i think oh there's a couple of notes <laughs> <laughs> but you know in general i'm i i'm four takes and i got it that that that's incredible reasonably good you know i i think well that that's that's not bad that yeah and there's no there's no tuning or anything here it didn't exist then you know when i was doing a one-man show it was just as punk was, you know, maybe coming to the end of its sort of heyday, I was singing very much in a in a in a, in a punk way. Honestly, I the people wouldn't believe this, but I would be singing with a sort of East End accent, and I would be not worried about tuning. I'd be shouting a lot and um, having a real attitude with the vocal. So a bit, you know, being in tune all the time wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't part of thinking. <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. Well, the second half of uh, verse one here, a snare drum comes in with some other instrumentation and a cool little organ lick comes in after each of the four lines here in the second half of verse one. And then we get into chorus one.
Don't crack up. Bend your brain. See both sides. Throw off your mental chains. And when I'm reading over these lyrics, I'm thinking I could see the A&R guy, the label guy going, yeah, we got to call this song Mental Chains, mate. We got to call it Mental Change. You're like, no, it's a new song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't ever recall them trying to persuade me to change it. I don't, I, I'm, maybe I just selectively didn't remember that, but. My record label drove us nuts with that kind of stuff. I mean, here we are trying to be artists. We're like, no, the title has to be this. We're like, well, that isn't even in the lyrics anywhere. Like, I know, but we're the artist, you're the label. Deal with it. And they didn't like that very much. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And I can see their point because they you know, mm -hmm. want you to have a hit with this. And they want, um, you know, they want, <laughs> they want like something that... <laughs> gets people to remember the song right after mental change you get what i believe is just it's a definitive hook of the song and upon re-listening to this howard and i've heard the song i don't know how many hundreds of times over the years it reminded me a little bit of that blur song song number two that's another song just song number two that woohoo <laughs> that thing oh, yeah, you know oh, this right, yeah yeah this is a hook this ooh, ooh ooh that happens after every time you say mental chains it's it's great well, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's the, the the function of it for me was like the joy of, you know, like, okay, we're going to bend our brains, see both sides and throw off our mental change. But that is a joyful thing to do. It's not a pain, you know, it's, that's right. a great thing to do. And like, yeah, let's do it sort of thing. And um, it's great hearing audiences do that now. I just love that, hearing them sing it back to me. Don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Howard Jones coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. And now, back to the show. Chorus one here, a really cool new bass synth part comes in. It is funky. It is so good. Uh, it changes the whole feel. Another synth keyboard type sound comes in as well, along with these 16th note shakers. Then during the last line, we get those great 80s sounding drum machine tom hits to take us into what I'm calling the post-chorus one interlude. And this... <laughs> <laughs> what would you call it howard what would you call this part i i just call it the riff <laughs> the riff okay this is this is the riff after chorus one which i i'm choosing to call i like your description better i like your description <laughs> i'm calling this the post chorus one interlude it's eight bars <laughs>
This beep, okay? It's not the triangle sound. There's a beep on every every one. Beep, 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 beep. And it gives this urgency, and it's so great for a dance song, that, that four and a floor like pulse. Yeah. You recall what that is? I'm missing this bit. <laughs> my, I, I can't I can't think where that came from. I can do some investigation. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Well I, well, I promise you it's there. And then after these eight bars, we immediately come back to chorus two. And that's kind of a dance trick. A lot of the uh, dance music, I should say, a lot of the uh, pop hits, uh, some of the disco bands, um, I know that Cool and the Gang would do this. They'd have an instrumental part and they'd come right back to the hook. And was that important to you to come back to that? Do you remember? Was, was it always like that on the demo? Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I really do think that I have to, you know, hats off to Rupert for this because he was just brilliant with structure. And he, in fact, taught me so much on that record about how to make it interesting for people because we're you know like unexpected things you know because uh, um you're dealing with um pop music songs structure you know it's a it's a classic thing mm-hmm. everyone kind of knows and expects things to happen but if you if you just th- throw some curves at people it may it just gives you a little bit of a thrill so uh, that's what rupert was always trying to get with with you know working with me with those tracks so I would have probably had, you know, the riff bit, you know, the probably the full thing going from C to A minor and back, you know, each time, which I probably right. live. But he said, no, you know, let's let's just feed it through um, bit by bit, let it evolve, and uh, you know, and and don't give people everything on the you know first time. Excuse my confusion, but I know Colin Thurston, he he actually recorded, I guess, did the first version. But yeah. you, you keep mentioning Rupert. Did he do some editing on the arrangement after the fact? Um, well, I mean, when you when you listen to Rupert's version, it, it's got this sort of piano solo bit at the end, um, which is uh. really great. And I just absolutely love that. It must have been me, though, um, that you're right. You know, it must have been me that um, came up with that structure. That's what I'm thinking. That's why I wanted to kind of clarify that with you because yeah, yeah, because I'm 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 thinking of Rupert Rupert's version was so um, uh, I think it's more sophisticated and and it's my favorite actually, but obviously you can't mess with the fact that this was the big hit and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, like I was going to say, this is this is the only one that I know, and it's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, chorus two here, the lyric is the same as chorus one. Was that discussed at all? Like, hey, we need some more information here, or, or we want to keep it simple. Coming back to the lyrics again, you know, it just reinforces them. And back then, too, we didn't have Google to look up lyrics at our disposal, or, or you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you could pretty much hear. You enunciate very well, but you know, throw off your mental chains. That's a bit odd of a lyric, you know. And that's why I didn't know if if uh, Rupert or Colin or anybody came in and said, you know what, we might want to mess w- w- with this line, but it, it doesn't sound like it though. No, that's one thing. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have stood for that, to be honest. Um, that's good for you. Yeah. I mean, it's like this is the this is the song. It's got to be like this, and. Um, you know, I'm not, I can't change, I'm not changing that, you know, it's, it just works for me. You know, I would take advice on many other things, but, but that, 
no, that's like, that's got to, this has got to be like this. But I never had right. to, I never had to have that fight. That is great. Because again, mental, Throw Off Your Mental Chains is a little bit of a highbrow lyric when you're making pop music. And as you know, people like to dumb things down, especially record labels. So that's why I asked that. Uh, after chorus two, you get that ooh, 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 that hook again. And then we get into a two bar instrumental reintro. It's kind of just kind of just sits there. It's not as as busy. It doesn't have as much going on as that post chorus interlude. And then we go into what I'm calling verse two. Uh, I guess you could call it verse three, but uh, verse two. It's just uh, it's a single verse. It's not doubled like at the top. I don't want to be hip and cool. I don't want to play by the rules, not under the thumb of the cynical few or laden down by the doom crew. I love that. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably my favorite bit. It's like, I'm not doing this to be fashionable or, you know, follow a trend. I want it to be like the original idea of what rock and roll is all about. It's about an alternative way of looking at things and it's not fitting into a grid that's imposed on you. You know, that's the, you know, I don't want to play by the rules. I want to be challenging those things, you know, um, not under the thumb of the cynical few. And so I was looking, I was hearing a lot of music that people were coming up with at the time that was pretty doomy and cynical uh, about the world so, and, and there, honestly there is a place for that of course there is a place for that um and and i'm not i'm not saying that you, sh- you shouldn't do that but it wasn't what i wanted to do i wanted to put out a you know a positive message and i felt that i was very um <laughs> acquainted with cynicism myself i could see that very clearly in myself well you're english yeah, yeah. So, but, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put that out in my music. I'm not gonna be reinforcing that side of me. Well, I think that's why why these uh, lyrics reverberate with your fans and why they've stood the test of time. You know, and as you said, they hit the fans because you know, looking down, you know, you, you put a double time drum beat and some big buzz saw guitars here, and and <laughs> these could be well, these could be punk lyrics. I mean, not in the thumb of the cynical few or laden down by the doom crew. It's like I could see the damn singing that or something. And you know, there was a there was a fine line between punks and new wavers at that time, as, as you. Know. No. Yes, yes, there was, there was. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and I, I think, you know, the, the, this idea of, of, I obviously wasn't aiming to be working, convert, you know, in a, in a bank, say, you know, just for, I wasn't aiming to, to be a classical musician. And, you know, and I, I, I was, I, I wanted to be in this culture, you know, pop culture, where you could have, have a little bit more leeway to like say what you really think, you know, without, mm-hmm. yeah. um, without it being shut, without being shut down because, oh, that's not the sort of thing that you, you know, you would do in maybe in any other field. So I was thinking, and that's the, always has been a function for me of pop music, rock music, alternative, is to give the, the, the opposing view, you know, say, hey, hang on a minute, do we have to be like this? Do we have to, you know, act like this um is is there a better way you know for people to be enjoying their life more and be happier with their life? 
Well, there's a couple of really cool things that happen in this uh, second verse here. You know, there's harmonies. You're singing in unison on all four lines, but there's harmonies that stick out. And do you recall doing that? Uh, was it Rupert or, or Colin or somebody saying, hey, I need you to harmonize, and you, you weren't actually harmonizing? Because it's, it's not a genuine full harmony. There, there is some unison there, but it's awesome. No, I think that, you know, I, I mean, this is just harmonies that I, that because I, it would have been with Colin that I did this, yeah, so so it would have been me um, mm-hmm. coming up. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't harmonize all the way very easily. Uh, and, right. Um, so just pick out the bits that it's going to work with, and that's, that's, that's what I did, yeah. I love that. I love when that happens, when it's like, yeah, you could have put a strict harmony on everything, but it wouldn't have made you feel the way that the vocal that yeah. you know you laid down, like the sporadic harmonies here and there, yeah. along with unison. There's also uh, organ licks that are here like verse one, along with four hand claps after every line here in verse two, that organ and those hand claps. And the four hand claps in that verse, it's the only time they happen in the song. And I love that too about this track. There's stuff that's floating in and out that never happens again. Yeah, that the uh, the hand clap thing, uh, you know, became a big a big hook of the song. And people yeah. actually, they do that live. You know, they they, they do that bit. Um, yeah. The organ was was on my, from my Juno 60. It's pretty much one of the presets, I think. I might have tweaked it a bit. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it obviously doesn't sound like a Hammond because that wouldn't have been appropriate. <laughs> no, but but it, it does still have that yeah. Hammond-esque feel yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I own a Hammond now, and with, you know, with a, a Leslie, and I, <laughs> it's always one of my favorite things to play. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't take that with me in my little van when I was doing my gigs, so. <laughs> So yeah, so it's almost like a, a bit of an oddity to have an organ sound in there with all these synths and and stuff going on, but um, it seemed to work. And I think that also tied it in with you know the the reference to the past and 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 what people w- you know would have done yeah. with the real Hammond and stuff. Yeah. Well, I love that. Uh, immediately after verse two, we get into chorus three. It's the same lyric. We get that ooh, ooh, ooh hook at the end. And then we come into the second musical interlude. Uh, it's a synth solo for 14 bars. The first two bars are just a re-intro before the solo. Probably, Howard, my favorite part of the song, because this part of the song to me has influenced so much that came after it in electronica and dance music. I've heard I've heard bites off of this section in, in a number of songs. I love this part. Uh, again, it's 14 bars total. The first two bars are a reintro and then that urgent beep that I'm talking about. It's on every beat. It comes in your beep, beep, 
beep. On bar three, the synth hook is panned left. Bar four to the right, bar five to the left, bar six to the right. On bar seven, we modulate a whole step down. It's panned off to the left. On bar eight to the right, bar nine to the left, 10 to the right. On bar 11, we modulate back up a step to where it originally was. Bar 12's panned off to the right, 13 left, 14 right into chorus four and that ping-ponging that stereo mixing it's killer i've just i've just realized something when you were saying all that the way i see the song in terms of naming the sections it's got the verses but the chorus is actually an instrumental chorus it's the it's the tune is the chorus and and then don't crack up bend your brain see both sides that's the bridge so that takes you up to the you know the tonic again you know back to see with the with with the chorus because i just didn't think you know i i didn't think in a con- particularly conventional way about how song structure should be that's why it um, turned out like that oh and, and that's that's what i just love so much about this it was your first <laughs> single and you're, you're kind of flying by the seat yeah. of your pants but in some amazing way all the stars lined up and you got this beautiful hit, this beautiful pop song out of it. It's awesome. Out of this uh, musical uh, bridge, I guess basically you said the chorus part, we're coming into what I'm calling chorus four. Don't crack up, bend your brain, see both sides, throw off your mental chains. And we get the ooh, ooh, ooh again, that what I'm calling a a major hook in this song into another two bar reintro. And I'm calling this, this is like the setup for verse three, which is our second double verse in the song. again this is crazy you went double verse at the top single verse and now you're at a double verse again to your recollection was that was that like the demo was it written like that yeah yeah it was it was and and i i um it's just the way the song evolved for me live and so and that's and you you, you never quite know what's coming next do you that's the thing i think that's exciting I mean, I guess people don't really do that now. Well, they don't. And I guess I guess you had woodshopped this enough. You were out at the clubs. You, yeah. you you had these pockets of fans that were just, this song was resonating with them. Why would you go cut it differently in the studio if it's working live? Exactly, exactly. It was working live. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I remember something else, you know, the, 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 the Simmons um, fills. Doom, 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 doom. Yes. But... Um, so that comes from because I didn't have I I didn't have Simmons drums in my one man rig, but I did a radio thing for for uh, Radio One uh, BBC uh, where I uh, you know before I got signed and don't, I don't know why but um, I thought it turned out to be a good idea to to get 
um, a drummer in to play with me and he had a complete Simmons kit, which was like the thing of the day, you know, like, you know, Oh yeah. Um, and, and, and he, you know, he sort of added to my drum machine stuff and things. And it, and it I think it may be my favorite version that, that, that's that, that live version that we did on, on, on radio one and, and with the Simmons. And so that's where the Simmons, um, got, you know, imported into the, into the recording then because I liked it so much. Um, and then I got my own Simmons modules then after that, that, uh, and I used a Simmons sequencer, it was called, uh, as well. So I, that's how I used to run it live. You didn't hear that for so long. It was kind of like a four letter word in the nineties, early two thousands. And I'm telling you, I'm hearing on recordings now and it just makes me smile. Yeah. I'm hearing those sounds again. It's just like, it, it's so, it's so cool. So out of this two bar reintro, we're into verse three, which verse three is a double verse like verse one. And it's the same exact lyric at this point. Did anybody yourself question, maybe we should add something else here or, or, or why mess with it? No, 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 no <laughs> rational thought was evolved in making this record. And that's the brilliance and that, and that's the beauty of it, which to your point, you know, hearing this verse again, you know, the, the same exact lyrics, it, it makes it almost like a chorus, you know, Every, people can really, really latch onto it. Yeah. It's like a breakdown verse, isn't it? Breakdown verse, double verse. Right. Well, the, f the first half is, it's all the same instrumentation, but we go to just kick drum and a new hand clap pattern that happens here. And halfway through, we don't get a reintro like between verse one, we get that two measure instrumental break. Uh, the, the second half uh, of, of the verse just comes in uh, here. Uh, when you get the whoa, oh, though, halfway through, we get those Simmons drums you're talking about, those fills come in there and then on the second half the snare drum is back in keys are here after every line as well as that new hand clap after every line and then immediately after that we go into what i'm calling the fifth chorus it's the fifth time you've heard don't crack up bend your brain see both sides throw off your mental chains with that ooh 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 ending is the musical interlude again as an outro which is killer again you get that beeping and this is probably driving you crazy you're probably wondering what i'm talking about i i, I think i've realized what it is now it's the it's the juno 60 doing doing an, uh, an arpeggio that's hooked up to the to the to the drum machine so uh, and you're hearing you're hearing the top the top note of it that's coming oh, link. okay it's actually an ar arpeggio that's bubbling up uh, underneath as well but this you probably you know yeah i think that's what it is anyway <laughs> do you know that one 
that one thing to me yeah. is so integral to this song yeah. without that little thing that I, I I'll say it again. It gives it an urgency, it gives an urgency. And for yeah. when you're, when you're in the clubs and, and the drinks are flowing and the smoke's coming out and, and, and it, the music's pumping and you hear that yeah. beeping that I'm calling yeah. it yeah. just, it, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it, 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 and then that comes back to the, to the limitations of my one man, you know, electronic band um, because there was an 808 drum machine that was then sending a trigger to a, a you know, a 12 note Pro One synthesizer. So, uh, which I had to program in before before each show. So I only had 12 notes to play with it. So, da 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 da. You know, that 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 had to have a short pattern to to you know to cycle around. And then also the drum machine would send a trigger to the Juno 60 that I could slap into arpeggio mode to give that buzz that you're talking you know that extra drive to, so so a, a lot a, a huge amount of this was was due to the limitations of the of the gear that i had at the time i'll be playing the bass with my left hand and that main riff that i call the chorus <laughs> um, is um was played with my right hand and that whilst i'm playing the bass with my left hand so it's, it was all within it, it all the answers really in a way come from from that rig that is so cool and i'm telling you i try to keep this show as as best as i can in layman's terms for the listeners yeah. i could talk to you about this stuff for days <laughs> it just it, this kind of nerdy stuff just fascinates me and you know I, I beyond thanking a guest for coming on this show from the bottom of my heart i want to thank you for pioneering a lot of what we hear today in elect electronic music you really you really did a lot of groundwork well you know i mean i i i did have to take a <laughs> A, a lot of flat for it um which was a bit painful really and uh, yeah but but yeah um i think people have taken on board a lot of it and they and they've run with it you know i mean i'm i'm really great friends with, with brian you know bt who uh who we've i've collaborated with on songs and, and he, to him for, for me he's like the person who's you know, taking the electronic field, you know, into another era uh, um, as well. And his the hit, the first show he saw was me playing um, in New in New Jersey, you know, with my one man rig, and it sort of blew his mind there and and inspired him. You know, I'm sure I wasn't the only inspiration, but one of the inspirations was to really get into electronic music and then you know take it further, which he's done and and. And then other people listen to that and they take it on further. It's, it's fantastic to see um, that process go on. That is awesome. Well, this last outro part here, uh, again, it's, it's two bars kind of by itself. Then it's eight more bars of that synth hook panned left and right. It's going back and forth. Whereas before on the first musical interlude, uh, it modulates on bar 11. We don't modulate till bar 14 here. And then it goes uh, back up uh, after a couple bars as we fade out the track. And I just, I can't stress enough to, to, to the listeners at home. I know what you went through to put this together back then. Mm. It's remarkable what you created. Congratulations on 40 years. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm, um, I, I'm, I'm so impressed with your analysis of the song. <laughs> <I'm> really, <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm super impressed with that. And, uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks ever so much. No problem. And and before we break, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? What you have coming up? Any tours? What's going on? 
It's the 40th anniversary, as we were saying, of the release of New Song on August 19th. And so I'm doing, I'm, I'm putting a tour really to celebrate that, you know, 40 years. Who would have thought that I'd still be out there doing it and loving it as much as I do? And uh, yeah, so hope to see people out there on the road, you know, and uh, let's um, throw off our mental chains together. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Okay, Chris. Thank you, mate. You're great. Hey, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Howard Jones as much as I did. But don't go anywhere. We got the rap segment coming up where Chris and I will talk all about this episode and how awesome Howard Jones is after a few words from our sponsors. Hey there. I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we celebrate and occasionally have a laugh about those bands and artists that had one song that most people remember. Although many musicians may reject the term one-hit wonder, we beg to differ with their aversion to it because wouldn't we all love to have a beloved hit song? On One Hit Thunder, we're joined by interesting guests from the world of music and comedy to dive into one artist each week. Our back catalog runs deep with episodes about everyone from Wild Cherry to Snow to Tag Team to Harvey Danger, and a new episode comes out every Wednesday. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts and join in on the fun. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Mercy Union, a post-hardcore band that features four touring vets who found themselves stumbling over something exciting in a basement in Jersey City. That first meeting would lead to their debut LP, The Quarry, and their most recent release is called White Tiger. Here's a snippet of their song, 1998. and Chris. Well, Howard was awesome, man. That was so cool. I felt like he had a lot of fun and I had a lot of fun listening and watching that happen today. That was awesome. It was. And in his recall, again, this is, you know, 40 years since the song's been released, probably longer since he wrote it. And he, you know, there was a couple things that he, he had to think about, but his recall was really impressive. I'm glad that Howard is such a 
positive guy and such a joy to talk to because right off the bat chris i when you said it even i was kind of <laughs> over here i was kind of like oh i don't know if that's the right word to use with a guy who's so involved in electronic music but when you said real instruments <laughs> yes and then but he corrected you but in the nicest way ever he's like well i think what you mean is conventional instruments because who's to say what's real and what's not just because something's synth or you know electronic that doesn't make it any less real. Absolutely, yeah. It was a, a, definitely a poor choice of words, and he's right. I, th I think his his term <laughs> terminology was better. Really, what I was getting at, though, and we we touched on it a couple of times, Chris, was the backlash that guys like him were getting back then. People calling it not real instruments. Oh, they're making music with computers. We still hear it today, and it's just it's it's laughable that that uh, forty years on, we're still talking about that. Yeah, I don't care what you use to make your music you still have to make the music yeah. and it's still and that music still has to make you feel something so i don't care if you're banging on a rock with a stick if you write a great melody and lyrics that move me I, who's to say that that's not an instrument you know that's that's as real as anything else right and speak speaking of what you just said speaking of banging on stuff with a stick and recording it you know these guys were making their own sounds he was talking about his engineer how he had this cymbal thing and they kind of you know ran it through the machine reversed it and, and that's the fluttering noise that i was talking about and you know they, they, they were pioneering all this stuff right hey i thought it was really crazy i never knew that queen i don't know what album it was but the queen put in their liner notes that no synths were used on this album as if synths were some sort of bad word or something because that seems crazy it seems like queen i haven't i heard electronic elements in queen songs before maybe, well, maybe after that you know queen and elo were some of the front runners of bands that were you know playing to tape back in the 70s you know because the whole middle part of bohemian rhapsody i mean when they used to play that live they would pump that through the speakers you can't recreate that with four right. guys on stage <laughs> so i always thought that was kind of odd that they put that in their liner notes who are they to talk shit on synths if you're literally just playing it through, <laughs> through the speakers i mean i love queen i just i found that surprising i thought they would always be on the cutting edge of anything when it came to music yeah, maybe yeah i i bet you they look back on that and they're like ah that wasn't wasn't the greatest like, i kind of remember uh rage against the machine kind of being like that too we don't use you know everything you hear is just what you hear and i think that's cool to a certain extent but it doesn't take away from someone else for doing it sure. i mean i guess i guess if someone was <laughs> you know, maybe in the future, if AI is writing songs or something, we can talk shit on that. But well, they kind of don't know. <laughs> I think they already are. But I'll tell you yeah. something that really impressed me. You know, you hear a lot of the dance tracks that came out around this time, the new wave stuff, and a lot of it was just kind of teeny bopper fluff. But Howard is really adamant about the lyrical message that he wanted to get across. You know, he was very protective of his lyrics, and with good reason. He has a lot to say here. It's positive, but it's almost got like a little punky to it too which like i said those crowds back then th there was a definitely a blurred line between the punks and the new waivers i mean i related to so many things chris that i know you'll relate to too he's talking about how his fans were so important his core group of fans were so important that in his first single he's basically this is basically a song to them a song <laughs> with them you know and 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 in punk rock coming up that's how we that's exactly how we had to come up is to 
to feel like you're one with your fans. You know, I think that's really, really cool. And I could also really relate to wanting to express optimism in your music. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's been something that's always been really important to me. But imagine at this time, I think maybe you made a reference to this. You do have, think of, in, in even in the new wave movement, think of some of the joy division and stuff. And even, you know, to a certain extent, like the Smiths and the Cure and bands like that, where I love those bands, but to a certain extent, there's a little bit of a, a pessimism in the lyrics and stuff, right? This was kind of the antithesis to that. It it, it was, and, and Great Britain during this time was in a horrible recession. A lot of the lyrics from the punks and the New Wavers, some of the stuff you're talking about, The Cure, yeah, it was melancholy, it was disenfranchised youth, it was all it was all those things, but I just love it. I love that we started out talking about the backlash and some of those things, and here he is in the first verse saying, I've been waiting for so long to come here now and sing this song to you, the fans. Then he's saying, but don't be fooled by what you see. Yeah, it's just one guy with some some keyboards up here but i'm the real deal like that's awesome yeah no i think it's great it's kind of like his uh it's his first song and it's kind of like here i am here's what i do that is the the theme of his first song Mm -hmm. i mean it's also chris we've talked about this before it's so cool to be able to have that live test of your song before you even record it to see how the audience responds to it you know we don't we don't really have that luxury maybe when we're first starting our band before we record our first album yes we've been out playing shows we see how the audience responds since then not at all usually you're not maybe you'll play a new song every once in a while that you haven't recorded yet but usually even if you put a new song in your set it's something you've already recorded yeah and and in in this instance he was playing the song for so long he knew it was a hit among these diehards these loyal fans that were coming out to see him it was like when they went to record it they weren't going to mess with the arrangement of the lyric which i thought was brilliant i mean i just thought he was all around awesome i loved how much He seemed to be having a good time with this. I told you that as soon as we got off. A lot of laughs. I was laughing a lot through this, just seeing his reaction. Dude, I love seeing people's reaction when they first realize like, oh, he's getting into the weeds here on this song. (laughs) This isn't isn't like some interview I've done a million times. He's talking to me about the beeps and little, uh, you know, drum machine specifics of the song. And I think... You know, at least it seemed to me like he really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. And in this instance, those little beeps and those those little bells and whistles and those woo-oo-oos, they all add up to the sum of, of the hit of, of what the song is. They're all integral in, in this track. And I'll tell you something else that's integral to our, uh, our listener base, Chris, is if they uh, are not part of our supporting cast, they should be. You want to tell them where they can get signed up for that? Yep. You can just head to chrisdemakes.com and you'll get a bonus episode every single week. It's a podcast that we make called The After Party. Apparently, people really like it because a lot of people talk to me about it. And uh, so, you know, you also support the podcast you love for a few bucks a month for the cost of buying Chris and I a cup of coffee because you enjoy the podcast and we supply you with entertainment and knowledge and a few laughs. Uh, You know, you can support the podcast. It's easy as that. I kind of lost my train of thought. doesn't really matter. That's the point. ChrisDemakes.com. That's right. ChrisDemakes.com. Go there and subscribe 
We'd love to have you. We also love to have you in our Facebook group, the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. Go join. Be a part of our community over there. Over, I think it's like 4,600 people we got in that group now, Chris. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot of music fans and everybody, 99.9% of the people in there are just people that love music, want to talk about music. It's a very positive place. Once in a while, I had to, I tell you, I had to kick someone out because they were being very negative in there. I'm like, you got to go. Yeah, this, we don't. This, this, this isn't a place for fighting. Sorry, buddy. You got to go. Not at all. <laughs> we've, we've built a wonderful community over there. We absolutely love it. So yeah. And give me a follow on Instagram if you can, at less than Chris D. Want to thank this week's guest. He was absolutely awesome. Howard Jones for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.